Let's go on to your next case. We saw a 28-year-old who palpated a left breast mass. She presented to her gynecologist who suggested she see a breast surgeon after it didn't resolve over a couple of weeks. And biopsy showed a grade 2 ER 50%, PR 60%, HER2 3-plus by IHC tumor. She had no palpable adenopathy. She went on to have breast conservation and she presented to me with a 2.5 centimeter ERPR positive HER2 3 plus tumor by IHC, and obviously no comorbidities. And we talked about the ACTH NSABP slash NCCTG regimen, as well as the Slayman TCH regimen. We talked about the slightly increased risk of cardiotoxicity with the ACTH regimen and the fact that. We've used anthracyclines as adjuvant therapy for breast cancer over the last three decades. And we went through all the data, and she wanted to undergo therapy with trastuzumab, carboplatinum, and docetaxel. And I presented that we had the Beth trial open, and she was very willing to participate on it. She asked lots of good questions, and so she's undergoing therapy on the Beth trial. Of course, that study randomizes TCH alone or with bevacizumab. Which arm did she get randomized to? She got randomized to the TCH alone arm. And I asked her, I said, are you still going to go on with this? Because she was thinking about fertility preservation techniques at that time. And she was very comfortable with the fact that she was on the TCH arm. She said that if it can't help me, it can help someone else. And she was very enthusiastic, and her perspective is just absolutely amazing. And it's something that I noticed, too, and I asked her about that, since we're doing so poorly overall nationally in putting patients on clinical trials, and she very readily agreed to this trial with the TCH, and I asked her, you know, how did you feel about it? And she really, she was very altruistic. If it can help others, I really want to do it. Plus, she really trusted Dr. Dendaluri or Nilema and really trusted her opinion. So she didn't have any hesitation whatsoever about going on the trial. She didn't have family members who were against it. They actually supported her very much and thought it was a really good idea. So I thought it was great. And she does have an incredible attitude for someone who's 28 years old and has had a lot of adversity to this point. And where exactly is she in her treatment right now? So she underwent the TCH for six cycles. She went ahead and finished her radiation, and she's currently on tamoxifen. And, of course, receiving the trastuzumab every three weeks. Unfortunately, personally, she's had a lot of stressors, including her long-term partner that she's been living with. They had a breakup, and so she had to move out, and her family lives far away. So she's had to seek support through other measures, whether it's a social worker or a breast cancer support group or friends. So that was very hard on her is because she was with this male partner for over four years, I think. And how did the disease tie into this breakup or what happened? You know, she's reticent to talk about it, whether it did or didn't. But unfortunately, you know, I think that at least she perceived that she was having some mood issues with everything going on. And for a little while, she was blaming herself for what happened. I think she was angry, you know, as anyone goes through these different stages, very angry about everything and getting the steroids doesn't help either. We all know that they can really cause mood swings and hyperactivity. And really, I don't know if 
anyone listening has had steroids, I've taken them and they're really not pleasant to take. So I think with all of those things going on with her young age, it was just a very, very stressful time. And the relationship wasn't as solid as she had hoped it would be. But on the other hand, right now, she's in a very good place. She's going to move back down to where her parents live. She's going to continue on the Hercept. And I think she has five or six more treatments of that and is on the tamoxifen. She did ask about taking something for anxiety. And we talked to her about that. And Neilma might mention what the recommendations were there. So we talked about Effexor, since it seems to have minimal interaction with tamoxifen from the CYP2D6 perspective. Additionally, we stress that continued counseling was very important. Also, I think some of the hot flashes and the anxiety she's feeling is also about fertility issues because she's had treatment-related amenorrhea. Therefore, we did talk with her that the overwhelming majority of women under 30 who receive chemotherapy regained their menses. And even, you know, when she finishes her five years of tamoxifen, should she decide to wait that long, if she wants to have a child, she'll be 33. So, you know, we were reassuring to her that while we can't promise that she will be able to conceive and have children, we do feel that there's a very good chance that she will. Well, also, I'm not so sure about the five years, Sandy, after having heard Paul Goss at the San Antonio meeting talking about premenopausal women who hit five years and then, you know, stop their periods and receive an AI. You want to comment on those data? And are we still looking at five years in those patients? Well, I think the data you're talking about from MA17 was five years of TAM randomized to five more years of hormonal therapy with letrozole versus no treatment reported a few years ago showing a benefit in those patients who got the letrozole and the women who were premenopausal when they went on. And it ended up, I think it was about a thousand patients. The median age of those premenopausal women when they went on the study was about 45, so it was a lot older than this patient. So that data, I don't think, really is going to relate to her. But to get to that data, the women who were premenopausal when they came in that study and then became postmenopausal had a much better benefit. I think it was about a 10% versus 3% reduction in recurrence. 10% in the premenopausal, 3% in the postmenopausal women. So they actually had the biggest benefit when they had the prolonged hormonal treatment with the letrozole. It's really interesting data. I'd like to see more of it and actually be able to kind of work with the data and see the publication because it really, it's very intriguing data. In her case, since she's so young, age 28, and as Neelima mentioned, you know, the overwhelmingly likelihood that she'll have her periods come back. So she's not really going to be truly postmenopausal with this treatment. I don't know, though, you know, we've been talking so much about the long term natural history of ER positive breast cancer and the impact of hormonal therapy in years five to 10. And yet, kind of the premenopausal women don't get into that discussion. You know, you don't really think about it with them. You people talk about, you know, the tamoxifen beyond five-year data, et cetera. And I know we don't have the data, but it kind of makes sense, you know, that maybe patients who are premenopausal would benefit from some kind of, ex even ovarian suppression or something. Right. I think that that would be more the discussion that I would have with her is would ovarian suppression, I mean, she would be the ideal candidate for the soft trial if it were still open, where they get randomized to tamoxifen or ovarian ablation, tamoxifen or ovarian ablation AI, and fortunately, that trial accrued fully and is completed. 
And I think it's going to be incredibly important data to know exactly what to tell these kind of patients that we discussed right here. So this patient had a node-negative tumor. How big was the primary? 2.5 centimeters. 2.5 centimeters. If you had the same exact woman in front of you, and instead of being 2.5, it was, let's say, 0.8 or less than a centimeter, how do you think that might have affected the way you approach this? So I feel that biology trumps size with the HER2-positive tumor. Therefore, even small HER2-positive tumors, looking at the natural history recurrence in untreated HER2-positive tumors, whether they're ER-positive or ER-negative, they seem to have a higher risk of recurrence. So after having a discussion with my patients that all of the data really in randomized trials is in tumors that are larger than that, I still do offer trastuzumab and chemotherapy to women, even if they have 8-millimeter tumors. Sandy, how do you approach this? And I hear a lot of people talking about sort of a T1A or a 5-millimeter bar that they don't want to go below. How do you approach it? Well, you know, as we all know, in the large adjuvant trials, there were several thousand, I guess, patients, if you combine the HERA and the NCCTG trial that had no negative disease, but they were all over a centimeter. And actually, the NCCTG had, I think, only about 10%, and the HERA, about 30% of the patients were no negative. But the 06 trial, the TCH trial, ACTH trial, had no lower boundary of size. So a three millimeter tumor that was HER2 positive was eligible to go on that trial with the TCH or ACTH. That's a minimal number of a patient, so I think it was only 50 to 100 patients. So we really don't have data to suggest whether patients with these 5 millimeters or less tumors or even a centimeter or less tumors will benefit from adjuvant trastuzumab. On the other hand, if you look at all the retrospective data that's been published and presented in the last year, the MD Anderson data, Chia's data, Heather MacArthur's data from Memorial, all those patients who had these T1A, T1B tumors seem to have a worse prognosis when you compare them to patients that have HER2 negative disease. And it's probably in the 10 to 15% range of recurrence. So given that, I would agree with Neelama. If they're in the 8 millimeter size, I go through the data and I do recommend adjuvant chemotherapy with Herceptin. If they're 5 millimeters or less, I don't. But I do go through the discussion. Some women still want it. I usually still don't recommend it because I don't think we have enough data there. And it still does have toxicity. And it is very arbitrary. You say it's a magic line, a magic number. It is extremely arbitrary. But I think we have to make a decision at a certain point of where we are going with overtreatment. And I think we still overtreat patients. So did this woman have a family history? And did you talk about BRCA testing with her? So she did have a family history. Her maternal grandmother was diagnosed with breast cancer in her 30s, and a maternal aunt was diagnosed with breast cancer in her 50s. A paternal aunt was diagnosed with breast cancer in her 40s. However, it's a large family, and those are the three affected people. But we went on and tested her for BRCA per NCCN guidelines, and she was negative for a deleterious BRCA mutation. So, Sandy, I saw your big New England Journal paper just got published on the study you were talking about, NSABP B30. And one of the most interesting findings there was that the premenopausal patients who became amenorrheic did significantly better. What do we know about the impact of some of the new trastuzumab chemo regimens like TCH on menses? 
We really don't know a lot, actually. And most of the regimens that have been looked at for amenorrhea actually have anthracyclines and cytoxin associated with them. So with just the TCH alone, there's really no data that I know of that's very clear about how often amenorrhea will occur.